sermon podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Awesome, awesome. Well, good morning again. Grab your Bibles together with me this morning. We're going to go to the book of Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. We're going to read a couple of passages of Scripture. Uh, One big segment of Scripture beginning in 13 that goes through 20, and then we'll read from 21 through 27. And uh, let's let's read the word together, not out loud together, but together. (laughs) When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. This was revealed by God. Jesus, his identity was revealed by the Spirit of God to Peter in that moment. Verse 18, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus tells Peter that Peter is a rock builder, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. All right, let's read the next passage here. So from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and he must suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day, be raised to life. Peter took him aside. I like that. He took him aside. All the parents know what exactly what this phrase means. Anybody ever take anybody aside? Better yet, anybody been taken aside before? <laughs> I've been taken aside multiple times. Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God. Listen to that. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Let's stop right there and pray. Jesus, we are asking today for grace and mercy. We are asking today for the help of the Holy Spirit to inspire and illuminate scripture and to open the eyes of our heart. Father, if there's any barrier in our hearts or in our minds that resists you, we ask that you would come and that you would tear lovingly and gently as only you can those barriers down. We ask that you would open our hearts and help us open our hearts to you 
and help us hear the gospel. Help me to faithfully proclaim the gospel so that we can live as faithful followers of Christ in this hour. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a very simple word for you today, but it's not an easy word. So simple in that, right? In that living for Jesus and living the gospel life really is not, it's not that complex. There's not a lot of do's and don'ts. There's not a lot of hoops to cross through, but it's not very easy. In fact, as I said a couple of weeks ago, I think living the gospel life is impossible without the Holy Spirit indwelling us, without God redeeming us by grace, without Jesus laying down his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. It's impossible to live the things that we're going to talk about right now. This is going to be kind of a mini two-part message. We'll pick up the next part of this next week. But I want to focus on these three things that Jesus says to Peter when Peter presumes that he knows what is best for Jesus's life and for Jesus's mission on the earth. Jesus's response initially are three things. Number one, he says this to Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a, that's a pretty striking response. And if I mean, right, it'd be okay if you said, Peter, not now. Peter, you're wrong. Peter, you're out of line. Fine. Okay, I can receive that. But then Jesus proceeds to call me Satan. What does that mean? What is happening there? The fact that this guy got it right just a few scriptures ago. We're not exactly sure the timeline, but Peter got it right. Peter heard from God. Peter hears from God. That's encouraging. It's encouraging, right? Peter's not an outsider. Peter's not a follower of Satan. He's not a part of the satanic cult or community. Peter loves Jesus. Peter's laid down his life. He's left everything to follow Jesus. And Peter has revelation from God. And yet, as Jonathan so masterfully taught us a couple of weeks ago, that Peter's imagination still was not fully transformed by the reality of who God is, by the truth of his word, and by this necessary mission that Jesus was about. And so let's talk here for a little bit about the fact that, guys, some of the thoughts that we think and some of the beliefs that we believe and some of the things that we say out of our own mouths are not inspired by God. And they're not even inspired by you. That we have to slow down and we've got to give some serious pause and reflection to what is the source of this idea? What's the source of this word? These words that I'm speaking over my life these words that I'm speaking over my marriage, over my potential marriage, over my future marriage, these words that I'm speaking out into the the netherverse of social media, right? Guys, our words, they have consequences. Our words have consequences because our words are attached to ideas and ideas come from a source, right? There are only two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of light, which God rules and reigns in. There's a kingdom of darkness. There's a kingdom of truth. There's a kingdom of falsehood and deception. There's a kingdom of life, and there's a kingdom of death. There's essentially only two kingdoms. We like to 
skate around in the gray. But guys, listen, the things that we believe are really coming from two derivatives. They're coming from two sources. And we need to slow down and posture ourselves in humility and say, God, where is this belief system coming from? We may not even realize that the things that we're speaking are actually attached to strongholds of belief. The things that we're just spouting off, the things that we're just posting or reposting, those things are actually creating a fortress of belief inside of our minds. And I'm just here to tell you today that only with 42 short years of life, that once a fortress of belief has been built, it's very difficult to tear it down. Because it requires immense intentionality and it requires what we call unlearning. That there are some things in the Christian faith that we actually have to go back and we have to unlearn. The biblical word for that is repentance. That there are some things that we believe and that we've believed our entire lives that we actually need to repent of. But here's the kick, right? That if we don't realize that those things are necessary for us to repent of, we never will. And... If we so steep ourselves in the belief that we're right, that we're never wrong, and if we so steep ourselves in the idea that the things that we believe are actually helping the cause of God, do you think that Peter thought when he pulled Jesus aside that he was hindering the cause of God? I don't think Peter believed that. Like, I just wouldn't have the, the guts to pull aside any leader and rebuke them let alone Jesus, unless every fiber in my being, my entire way of life and view of life believed in what I was saying. Jesus, you're wrong. Pardon me. With all due respect, permission to free, speak freely, sir. You're wrong. You cannot do this. Like, think about that. And yet Peter didn't realize that the things that he was speaking out of his own mouth were actually being inspired. His imagination was shaped by something that was not from God. And yet, in the name of God, he was pursuing this. Guys, that is the most dangerous form of religion. Think about this. Where our ideas are not from God. And yet... We are pursuing them in the name of God. I think about any time that Christians pursue power or violence in the name of God, in the name of God, how much damage this does to the witness and the credibility of the gospel and to the kingdom and to the work of God in the earth. Let's go here for a few seconds to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis Chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the snake, the accuser, the adversary, the devil, Satan, whom Peter was just referred to. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the snake, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say... You must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be just like him, 
God's holding something back from you. God doesn't want you to be like him. God wants to control you. God wants to rule your life. Like listen to all the subtle insidious things that the enemy just weaves in there by suggestion, right? Is it good to want to be like God? Yes. All throughout the New Testament scriptures, we read that the whole journey of sanctification and faith is to make us more like Jesus. And so the enemy comes in and he begins to play on these ideas. You're supposed to want to be like God and he's keeping that from you. So many of the things are unspoken. So many of the things, the way the enemy works is beginning us to uh, cause us to begin to question the character and the nature and the faithfulness of God. And he does all of these in a way, watch this, that benefits us, that props up our lives, that causes us to want to preserve the best life that we think that we should have. And the truth of the matter is, I want to submit to you guys today, we don't know what's best for us. We don't know what the best version of life is for us. We think we do because we take our cues from what the world says. This is the best version of life for you. Promotion is always right, according to the world. Promotion is not always right, according to God. Guys, if promotion was always right, Jonathan Swindle wouldn't be here. He left a 5,000-member university where twice a week he was being displayed across the globe. He wouldn't be here, I promise you, if promotion was always from God, as we define promotion. More money is not always from God. Are you hearing me today? All right, we've got to slow down and say, God, what, where is the source of this idea coming from? Fighting for our rights is not always the Christian way. And that's hard. That's hard for me because I am living in this sinful flesh which from the moment that sin entered into the human heart, I have been programmed to take care of me, to protect me, to preserve me, to promote me, to bless me, to advance me, so that I can be like the enemy's version of God's plan. The enemy's version of God's plan is the way that you become more like God is you become more powerful, you become more beautiful, you become more popular, you become more wealthy. This is how you'll be more like God. This is not God's way of fulfilling his intention for our life. Second thing that Jesus responds to Peter is he says, Peter, you are a stumbling block to me. Gosh, as if it weren't bad enough for you to call me Satan. Now you're telling me that in, in my version of following you, that I'm actually hindering the very reason why you came to earth. What is a stumbling block? It's used 
in about three different ways throughout the scriptures. It can mean a form of temptation, right? There are stumbling blocks. I think that each and every one of us individually are like an Achilles heel. Your stumbling block in sin may not be like my stumbling block in sin and vice versa. There are things that I know I just need to stay away from. If you got a problem with alcohol and you know that you can't, I don't think there's anything wrong in and of itself with drinking alcohol. But if you know that that stuff runs in your family and you've had uh, a poor experiences having control and restraint and, and it kicks some addictive responses and mechanisms inside of you, friends, you got to stay away from it. You got to stay away from the liquor outlets. You got to stay away from the bars. You can't, you can't go there because it is a stumbling block to you. Okay. Jesus referred to himself as a stumbling block. What did he mean by that? He meant that the Jews in particular had such, and this is what's happening to Peter. Peter was so inundated with the Jewish view of the Messiah that when the kingdom of God comes and it does not line up with the Jewish imagination of who the Messiah was, it trips them up, right? It's an impediment. It's a barrier. They stumble over it. They fall over it. They, they, they have a hard time reconciling their mind and reconciling their heart with truth and reality. That's a stumbling block, okay? A stumbling block can also be a trap. It could be a snare. It could be a barrier. It could be a distraction for the purposes of God in your life. I'm reminded in Hebrews chapter 12, that verse that says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, right? And, and the sin that so easily entangles our life, man, cast that off. Cast those things off because it's a stumbling block. It's something that's been set in your way to trip you up. Now again, Peter speaking out of his own affection for Jesus, Peter speaking out of his own Jewish imagination of his understanding of the scriptures, of who he wants the Messiah to be, that's not necessarily bad morally. But when he begins to leverage these things to prevent Jesus from doing the things. And listen, you have to understand too, remember that Jesus is human, right? Jesus is not superhuman. He's fully human. And he's fully God. So there's a part of Jesus, I think if, if we're honest with ourselves, and, and we know this from the scriptures, Jesus is in the garden and he's, his humanity is wrestling with this. Jesus is in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. And the enemy comes to tempt him three times to take shortcuts. I wrote this down. I think, I think that it's worthy of us looking at. It might buy. Yeah, here it is right here. Uh, oh, where did it go? It was so good. Oh, here it is. So Jesus is saying to Peter, listen, this idea that you have, it's out of line, right? It's not the way of God. The idea that I shall not suffer, the idea that I am to receive, watch this, resurrection glory without crucifixion suffering is a trap. And Peter didn't realize he was doing this, but he was saying, Jesus, the enemy knew what he was doing. The enemy was saying, you can have resurrection glory without crucifixion suffering. We have to be careful 
we have to be careful with an over-blessing ideology from the scriptures. We, we have to be careful from an, an, an improper, unhealthy view of what victory is. We've got to be careful. Because Jesus is saying to Peter, the notion that I can have resurrection glory without faithful obedience, which may require a form of crucifixion, suffering is a snare. It is a trap. And it will not only prevent me from following God faithfully, it will completely prohibit that from being a reality in my life. Pay attention to the stumbling blocks in your thinking. And we have to, guys, listen, if we're going to do this right, we've got, to, we've got to submit all this to the Lord and say, Lord, is this a stumbling block? Let me give you an example of some stumbling blocks that, that we may or may not fall into. You know, I, I've had an opportunity to do premarital counseling with a number of people. And I had a particular couple at one point, Christians, grown but Christian families, children of Christian ministers, right? That were espousing the cultural idea of cohabitation. The idea of cohabitation says we can live together for financial benefits. We can live together for social benefits. There, there's so many beautiful, wonderful, tactical, powerful ideas that are floating around out there of how this will benefit me in my situation. But here, listen, the reality of this is, is that when a young man and a young woman are living together in the same house, sexual purity and fidelity are near impossible. They're just near impossible. So if the will of God for you is sexual purity, the idea of cohabitation is a stumbling block. Are you hearing me this morning? All right. If you want to speak honorably about the people that are in your life or around you, and you have people that it seems like every time you get around them, these sneaky, subtle ways that they begin to pull up other people's lives and other people's weaknesses in the form of gossip or slander, that's a stumbling block. If there are things that the Lord is trying to do in our lives to bring us into greater reconciliation and fellowship with others, and we espouse the notion that we're always right, that we're stubborn in our learning, that we have a difficulty being taught new things or looking at life from other people's perspectives, it's a stumbling block. This is why I think white people need to be in conversation with black people. This is why black people need to be in conversation with immigrants. This is why, I mean, it's, it's endless. This is why we need to be in conversation with people who are not like us because it, it pushes us into the space that we have to submit our ideas to the Lord. And we've got to fight for Christian unity and fight for Christian oneness. It is not automatic. A couple other stumbling blocks here. Um, confusing power and materialism with the Christian way. In other words, that following Christ means I will always be blessed in my definition of blessed. That's a stumbling block. It's a stumbling block. Here's actually some very, very relevant stumbling blocks for where we are in this hour right now. Our notions of the church are stumbling blocks. The idea that I can just get a couple of buddies of mine and we can just go hang out and that's a church, that's a stumbling block, friends. Because the church was never designed to be a homogenous unit. What does that mean? It means that the church was never designed to be a fellowship of likes. 
of people that are just like me. Okay, when I hang out with people that believe the way that I believe and think the way that I think, all they do is they just re-entrench me into a way of thinking that may not be right. It may not be right. The church was designed to be a fellowship of poor people and wealthy people coming together as one. Older people and younger people coming together as one. Male and female coming together as one. Owner and servant coming together as one. On and on it goes. Gentile and Jew coming together as one. That was God's vision for the church. And I'm here to tell you today that there are some ideas that are floating around and they're very subtle and they're very convenient. It's an ecclesiology of convenience. That's a stumbling block. Ah, I'm just not ready to go back to church in person yet. Okay, but you'll go to every restaurant and you'll go to the mall and you'll go to concerts and you'll go to parks and you'll hang out with people and no masks and you know it. And you'll go, every, you'll go to every social space, but you won't go to the church. And why is that? Why is that? Right, because it's an ecclesiology of convenience and it's a stumbling block. What does that mean? It is, means it is a snare for your life. I'm not here to be legalistic about church attendance, guys. I am here to be very honest about the ideas that we, we buy into, sometimes we don't even realize we're buying into them, right? And then we just find ourselves in a way of life that has drifted away from fellowship. It's drifted away from church discipline. Like, we, we kind of look around and we wonder, like, why, why has a church lost so much ground? What's well, easy? Like, if we don't have if we don't have a form of church that allows us to speak honestly to one another, and you're never allowed to speak honestly to each other if you don't have commitment and faithfulness and loyalty and relationship. Like, I don't let people that I've just met for the first time correct me. <laughs> but think about it. Like, if, you know, if, we, if we adopt this habit of just kind of popping in, popping out, popping in, popping out, watching somebody online. Oh, I'm going to do Bill Johnson today and Mike Bickle tomorrow. And, oh, I like this. this. This guy's really neat. Guys, listen, no one will ever correct us, right? Because, because correction is a form of permission granting. You've got you've to give someone permission to correct you. And you'll never give someone permission to correct you, A, who's distant from you, and B, who you have no relational trust equity with. Why would you? I wouldn't. We've got to, guys, listen, in this hour, I'm telling you, we've got to seriously evaluate our belief systems that affect our behaviors and habits as it relates to gathering together with the people of God. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Man, I'm just so proud of you. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for choosing. Something is being built inside of you and me. Something is being formed inside of us as a result of us choosing to come and gather together, to sing the songs of God together, to see each other's faces together. I was talking with Joe this morning and I was just so self-conscious because of my mask. And I was like, God, I just wish I didn't have this stupid thing. And then the thought was, I'd rather be here with my brother with a mask on than not. I'd rather, I'd rather have that. I'd rather look into your eyes. I'd rather be present together with you. Jake and Courtney, so good to see you guys. So proud of you. 
And when we're together, I'm digressing just a little bit, but I'm telling you guys, pay attention, look around, see the people that are around you and allow that to do something, allow that to spark. Oh yeah, I remember, I remember. Pray, reach out, follow up, invite, connect. Allow the work of the spirit to work inside of you as you look. Let there be holy gazes that take place as we look at each other in the room. Amen. Third thing that Jesus says to Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. And then he says this, man, this is so powerful. Can we put this on the screen by chance? Do I, do I need to give you the exact verse? Matthew chapter 16. Is that verse 23? Yeah. If you can't, there we go, right there. Uh, you do not have in mind the concerns of God. Dude, when I read that, I don't know, it just, it just did something to me. It was very convicting. It was one of those, son, you need to slow down. Because I think it's easy for us to blow by things and assume, oh yeah, I've got, I've, I have in mind the things of God. I don't know if I have in mind the things of God. I think that I have in mind the things of God. This morning as I was just getting ready physically, this verse was running around and then I thought to myself, I so infrequently, unoften, that is not even a word, very little do I have in mind the things of God, the concerns of God. Look right here with me, if you would, just at two verses, and then we'll, we'll close and we'll ask God for help. Romans chapter 12. I need help. I need help. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies. We'll pick this up next week as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be shaped or formed into the way of thinking of the world, but be transformed by thinking about the things of God, by setting your mind, by aligning your belief system, by getting your thinking into agreement with the thoughts of God. Peter, Peter did not have the thoughts of God in mind. Another way that you could translate what Jesus said to him very simply is, Peter, not only do you not have any concern, you have no regard right now in what you're saying. In this statement, you are not even considering who God is or what God is up to. Think about that. Think about what you post Think about what you repost. Think about your knee-jerk response to the cultural issues of the hour. And ask yourself this. Are you even remotely regarding God? The thoughts of God, the perspective of God, the activity of God, the heart of God for people and people groups. Are you even remotely considering that? If not... You may need to hear, get, a, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block because you are not taking into serious reflection who God is 
and what he is about in this issue. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.